0: Consider this. I've called from some of the happenings around the world. Last month, in March, in Nashville, Tennessee, three children were murdered while they were in school. They were nine years old. The murderer held the entire school under siege, and three of the adults, just under U.S. retirement age, who cared for these children were murdered. In the following month of April, just three days after the murderer opened fire with assault weapons and handguns, hundreds of school children. Teens and parents gathered at the Tennessee State Capitol to beg for legislative change of state gun control laws. They chanted, Save our children. Two elected lawmakers representing 130,000 citizens yelled, Power to the people, through a megaphone. They were expelled from the state legislature, and 130,000 state citizens were instantly disenfranchised. You see, the patriarchy cannot abide by anyone who speaks truth to power because it disrupts and destabilizes their project to subjugate the people. Women in women's sports are being silenced. Consider this, athletes biologically female at birth are being silenced in the legal, social, and public dialogue about how to conduct a fair competition when a biologically born male changes their sex and or gender to identify as a woman and competes against them. These athletes want a seat at the table to meaningfully shape policy and law that represents equity and basic fairness. The time is now for collective outrage and action to destabilize a norm of acceptability where athletes, biologically female at birth, who have worked to create and build competitive women's sports around the world Have a representative and meaningful voice in the public discourse, law, and in public policy. Because right now, the patriarchy, through a very loud echo chamber of a few, are bullying and dismissing them into silence. I've got a good message for you today. Let's get into it. Hello everybody! Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Divorcing Patriarchy. We're podcasting about the rise and fall of patriarchy and documenting the mad exodus. I am your committed host for this journey, Dr. Maya La Mariposa Guerrera. Here, we form a community of individuals in the metaverse who have made a conscious decision to divorce the patriarchy and to choose an identity and a life of thriving outside of the patriarchy cheers to everyone across North America, South America, Europe, Australia, Asia, and New Zealand for tuning into the show. We are thrilled to be in community with you in the Divorcing Patriarchy Metaverse. Now, you will need a comfortable place to listen, to consider, and to contemplate. Today, I suggest you have a writing device and a piece of paper to doodle. Allow yourself to get lost in this podcast episode. I promise to take good care of you. I spend a lot of time thinking about how human beings create and exchange meaning through verbal and nonverbal communication. Social scientists know quite a bit about that and how it works in different cultures. What we know less of is how the soul communicates. We don't really talk a lot about that. Some of us believe that the only thing that matters is what you can taste, touch, hear, and smell. These folks say that the brain makes sense of the only things that matter, and if the brain cannot make sense of a thing, then it doesn't matter. I believe that the brain speaks an entirely different language than the soul. It knows different things. Religion, as a particular system of faith and worship, or an institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Since its formation in the 16th century and as a system of the patriarchy superstructure, they have not been able to decode or codify how the soul communicates in the way that other languages are transacted. For example, Spanish, Arabic, Hebrew, sign language, German, Maori, French, Portuguese, or any of the other 7,000 languages spoken around the world. Religion offers many things of value, but it cannot offer anything outside of its superstructure. If there was a language for the free, outside of the patriarchy, it would be soul communication. To live and thrive outside of the patriarchy, we have to tap into the collective wisdom of souls that cross time and space. If we limit ourselves to the wisdom of our current time, it would be like Groundhog Day, doing things over and over again, only to last for the lifespan of the living memory of a few generations. We would have to start all over again after the memory died out because there was no nexus, no union between the wisdom of a soul who lived decades before you were ever born and the wisdom of that that you acquire in your lifetime. So I want to talk to you about a man that has been larger than life in my psyche and who has occupied real estate in my soul for a very long time. I've never met him and he never met me. In fact, he transitioned from this earth almost two decades before I was ever born. He captivates my soul as if his soul was unrestricted to traverse across time and space to speak to me. He was a master communicator. Allow me to introduce you to the great artist Teo One of los tres grandes considered by many to be one of the three most important muralists to come out of mexico as an archetype master communicators of the soul understand that the patriarchy is not interested in the soul there's a reason for that the patriarchy cannot dominate and possess one's soul one's culture one's community one's heart it has tried and failed And it will try and fail again. To mitigate that failure, the patriarchy divides up the body. It seizes the mind. It captures and monetizes it. The patriarchy wants to enslave the body through diet, through food sources, through health systems, through the ways that you work, through the prison industrial complex. Mm. We're going to talk about those matters in future episodes. But Diego Rivera, understood these truths, and gifted us with a trail of wisdom breadcrumbs to help us get through our current difficult times. I want to intimately introduce you to his message. As a refresher, we define patriarchy as a complex structure of 10 pillars of interconnected legal, social, cultural, political, and economic systems. These systems are economy and work, education, family, food, agriculture, government, health, law, marriage, military, and religion. When we refer to the patriarchy, we are talking about this superstructure and any or all of these systems. The superstructure of patriarchy is a structure of power that organizes and operates to protect and privilege its primary beneficiary. Males. Remember that the patriarchy problem is a problem of inequality. The critical project of the patriarchy is to be and to maintain absolute power. That absolute power can and should be disrupted. Disruptions to the project of patriarchy weaken its stability. This is a universal truth understood by master communicators of the soul. Our teaching for today will receive and consider the message that Master Communicator of the Soul, Diego Rivera, carried to us. When the patriarchy came for Diego Rivera, he wasn't having it. The painter, Señor Diego Rivera. His full name was Diego Maria Concepcion Juan Nepomuceno Estanislo de la Rivera, Iberentos de Acosta y Rodriguez. He was the proud son of a miner. Writer Gardona Peña said that Diego Rivera contains in his blood a cocktail of maps, whose olive is in Mexico. It should be imbibed slowly to avoid sudden intoxication. His paternal grandparents were an Italian Jew, born in Russia, and a Portuguese Jewess, who immigrated to Holland. His maternal grandparents were from Veracruz and San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, Mexico. There was um, a gentleman. He was born in El Salvador and raised in Costa Rica. A columnist, a science fiction writer, poet, narrator, and essayist by the name of Alfredo Cardona Peña. And every Sunday for 52 weeks in Mexico, he interviewed Diego Rivera, then aged 63. The interviews were later translated into English by his younger brother, Álvaro Cardona Hain. 66 years later. Cardona Pena said, "'We can identify the painter with each of the deities that form the Aztec Pantheon, with Teladloc, God of Water, with Quetzalcoatl, beneficent god of light, and with profound Coatlicue, goddess of earth and death, portrayed with eagle claws and a skirt of snakes. Rivera himself referred to the pre-Hispanic idols as his nourishment. Speaking about the aesthetics of Rivera's painting, philosopher Samuel Ramos said, It begins with the assumption that art must be the expression of an ideological content determined by the social conditions of the moment in which the artist lives. Rivera's painting involves a political thesis. His entire mural achievement is the visual objectification of a socialist idea based on Mexican history. Diego Rivera said that a painter is just as any artist, the product of the society in which he lives individually, a being processing a neuroglandular system and an ocular apparatus that aids him in his work. Agents that are nothing but receptive conductors, transmitting apparatuses for the aspirations, desires, and struggles of the masses that intervene in the medium produced. He said that art is meant to produce in a human being an aesthetic emotion, a unique phenomenon due to the proper and complete provocation that passing through the neurosympathetic system moves its adjacent glands so that these may yield their secretions to the organism. This is as necessary to life as those products that feed the digestive system. In consequence, if art is not made, there is a danger of death. Speaking about popular art, Rivera said that among the middle, wealthy, and aristocratic, there were those who inherited the mentality of those who divided the population of Mexico, and Indians and people of reason. They considered popular art shameful. But before the Mexican Revolution, farmers, workers, and artisans lived in a world separated from the middle classes by an abyss, which became deeper in the period between 1862 And 1902, due to the influence of Europe in both the conservative and the liberal side. Cardona Peña writes that Rivera could look deeper into popular art and find strange forms of communication, roots, lost links, bits of shipwrecks, and ships without a compass. That he could put the people to his ear as if they were a shell, and then listen to the waves of the past, voices many of which only he could decipher. He said he'd stick his hand down the nearest feminine neck and pull out a gold necklace. He'd put the piece on the floor and with his naked ancient treasures find an object that belonged to the night, place it next to the jewel, and begin to smile slowly, because according to him, he had found between them a connection between yesterday yesterday, And today, a hanging bridge over which, like the great-bellied gentleman he was, he could wander and sway up and down as he wished. Cardona Pena said that Diego Rivera showed us his investigative powers, bringing up things that philosophers would have to figure out on their own. Rivera, referencing the patriarchy, said that those in power rely on the collaboration of warriors, magicians, or men of science, but that they also needed the help of producers of aesthetic emotion, artists. He saw painting as an essential function of human life, that wherever human beings lived, painting has existed and exists because it is a language as with words. And so he invented a particular style of Mexican painting, it could be converted into an effective weapon against lying to the people, teaching the people to discover through its contents, the lies power uses to exploit it. That's what he called realism. Actually, he called it socialist realism. He said that in any case, it couldn't be but on the side of those who manage exploitative power or on the side of people struggling against it. No neutral position could be sustained. Between 1922 and 1923, along with Sequeros and Orozco, Rivera originated Mexican painting in a particular style that would make the people the heroes of mural painting. It consisted in representing the poor farmer and the industrial worker fighting to obtain land. He said that for the first time in the history of art, Mexican art achieved that. Up to then, the heroes of murals had been gods, angels, archangels, saints, heroes of war, kings, emperors, prelates, great military and political chiefs, with the people showing up, even in their best cases, as the chorus around the stellar personages of the tragedy. In them, for the first time in the history of art, a painting was realized which on a single wall, express dialectically the history of the people from the remote past up to the present in order to establish a perspective about the future. Diego Rivera brought his message to the United States. It was actually the German photographer and husband of artist Georgia O'Keeffe, Alfred Stiglitz, who was the first one to sell and collect Diego Rivera's paintings in the United States. Stiglitz never attacked Diego Rivera or Orozco, but he did attack the American painters who had been influenced by Mexican muralism. It was said that in a matter of months, those painters that united themselves and began to work, well, Stiglitz called that movement the Mexican disease. Here's where it gets really interesting. So Diego Rivera was in Detroit, Michigan, painting a mural in the Garden of the Institute of the Arts. And he described the walls as being an intricate Italian Baroque style with little windows um, and sculpturesque moldings that he said that it was within this frame that he was supposed to represent the life of an age that had nothing to do with Baroque refinements, a new life that was characterized by massive machines and naked mechanical power. So the mural consisted of 27 panels, and they were divided roughly into three levels. Uh, At the base, there were scenes uh, depicting events and a worker's day on the main level. And then at the top, the major area of the composition shown were machines and motions. up at the upper level of the painting there were representations of the physiography of the region the soil its minerals and fossils its lake and river transport um and then there were races of man and panel after panel had undulating waves that were reappearing and the giant steel conveyor belts with tubes and piping. Uh, Diego Rivera became conscious after a time that whispers were beginning to circulate throughout the city about the mural. The whispers were looking for a pretext to attack him and the mural. They took particular issue with a picture of a child in the arms of a nurse being vaccinated by a white-gowned physician Before them stood a horse and a cow, some sheep, animals, from whom the tissues, uh, many vaccines were prepared. The painting was intended to celebrate the noble work of men of science fighting against disease, but to some it was a portrayal of the Holy Family and modern dress. They saw the three laboratory workers standing for the three teams as analogous to the animals of the manger. They say the painting was sacrilegious. They alleged immorality in the frescoes. Word on the street was that he dishonored the walls of the Institute with pornographic paintings. The press denounced his work as immoral, blasphemous, anti-religious, obscene, materialistic, and communistic. And a city councilman assailed his murals as a travesty on the spirit of Detroit and urged his fellow councilmen to order that they be washed from the walls. But the people clapped back to disrupt the drum of the patriarchy. A mass of men, numbering more than 200, marched in. They were Detroit workers from different factories and belonging to different political parties. Some were communists, some were Trotskyites. Others were Democrats and Republicans. Some belonged to no party at all. The workers said to Diego Rivera, hey, look, you've You've reported to have said that as long as the working class does not hold power, a proletarian art is impossible. And then you further qualified this by saying that a proletarian art is feasible only so long as the class in power imposes such an art upon the general population. So what you've done is that you've implied that only in the revolutionary society can a true revolutionary art exist. They demanded that Rivera publicly admit before them that the existence of the Detroit mural was in fact a classic example of a proletarian art created exclusively by Rivera for the pleasure of the workers of the city, Diego Rivera conceded. It has been noted that many years earlier in Paris, he abandoned a profitable career in Cubism because he had envisioned the mural as the art form of the industrial society of the future. In this full circle moment, Rivera was complete. You see, Diego Rivera was a master communicator of the soul. He understood that there are those among us who yearn for and long to choose a life of freedom and liberation outside of the patriarchy. Like all human groups, we need to communicate and Rivera modeled the way in which art can be used as a critical language for our souls. If you are an artist, visual, musician, writer, creative, culinary, or performative, please endeavor to carry the voice, critical messages, and inspiration of the proletariat. Of those who live or want to live outside of the patriarchy, this of course will be a sacrifice for you and we deeply thank you in advance for your sacrifice for those who are waiting to receive a word or an inspiration look toward our artists listen to the master communicators they are particularly gifted leaders here to help us in our journey financially support their work every opportunity you may get together We will build a life of thriving in freedom and outside of the patriarchy. That ends our time together today in the Divorcing Patriarchy Metaverse. Until next time, be well in your journey.